Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Thanks for being with us. I'm Michael Boyle, your host. Thanks for joining us on one of the 47 radio stations now, or maybe you're watching the show on YouTube, or maybe you're catching the show on iTunes or the show website, CREshow.com. Well, today we have an incredible show for you. I'd like to welcome my guest, it's Rod Santamassimo. He is founder and president of the Massimo Group, their commercial real estate consulting and coaching company. Rod is also the author of, author of Brokers Who Dominate. That is a fantastic book if you're in sales or in commercial real estate business. And also he's now written another book, another bestseller coming down the pike here. It's called Teams Built to Dominate. Uh, I've read this book. I recommend this one as well. Rod, thanks for joining us today. Michael, great to be here as always. Well, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you, you do a, a lot of work with uh, salespeople in, uh, in the mortgage business and especially in the commercial real estate business. And, and you help them with their coaching, consulting, and with their business. And one thing has gotten really uh, larger, I guess, uh, it's always been around, but maybe more popular lately, is having teams, right? And uh, if, you're, if you're not in commercial real estate brokerage or you're not running a mortgage uh, business, you know, the things we're going to talk about today may help you in lots of different businesses. So uh, uh, let's talk about the definition or first or the best definition of a team. Well, in, in our world, in my world, what we wrote about, a, a team, there's, there's two types of teams, right? There's the scalable team, the project teams, the big projects, everyone comes together, you pull people based on their skills, projects over, teams over. That's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about a true integrated team, a small group of people that coordinate on an orchestrated effort. To me, that's a team. One thing, I uh, have a quote from your book that I really liked. It says, just because you can do it faster and better doesn't mean it will make you wealthier. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I, I will, I'm a pretty good Excel uh, analyst, I guess. I can do some pivot tables and everything. I'm not making money doing pivot tables. I'm not. I'm right. making money by developing my business to my consulting and my writing. And so a lot of people just they work on things because they either they enjoy it or they think they need to do it but they're not becoming wealthy because of that. Right, and that's one of the things that's hard for leaders sometimes to, to kind of let go of, right? And let go, well, I need to do that because no one can do it as, as well as I can, right? Absolutely true, and, and that's where the quote comes from. You, you have to entrust and build a team of people that you know are capable to handle it. They may be like you, but that's okay. We don't want them all to be like you. Right, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about the makeup of a good team because you just don't want to get a, a couple guys together because they want to hang out, right? No. No, you, no. you need some, some, some different personalities and traits, right? Talk to us about you, that. You do need different personalities and traits, and we dig deep in that in, in the book as far as personality traits. You look at a team, every team position has a unique need, both from a personality standpoint and, and a skill-based standpoint and a knowledge standpoint. You have to make sure you get the right skills and the right personalities within those roles so your team can be as effective as possible. Right, so you don't want to, uh, two guys that are all just want to be on the phones all day and, and don't want to do anything else, right? No, in, in the book I, I say, well, if you got Mark Cuban and Mark Zuckerman and then Donald Trump together, would they be a great team? No. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. No, no. You need other folks to fill roles. So yeah, if you're having everyone prospect, Who's going to fulfill the business? Who's going to win the business? Who's right. going to service the business? 
Right, right. So if you've got a, a great rainmaker, you may need someone else that's a little more organized and can help uh, fulfill the business, right? Right. Someone that has, we, we look at that as, as more of a, of a structure standpoint, more, more conformity and that level of conformity they bring to the team that allows them to service the, the opportunities that you, you secure. Right. Because you have to, as you said in the book, you've got to um, find the business, you've got to win the business, and then you have to fulfill the business. And sometimes people are better at certain things. Absolutely true. And I know, you know, when I started out, maybe when you started out, we, we did it all ourselves. That was it. And we thought we could do it all. But the business has gotten so much more complex, demands of the clients so much more intense. They're, they're cowboys and supermen, they're, they're obsolete. Right. Well, let's talk about a little bit more of how you can evaluate those people. So if you're thinking about joining a team or starting a team or, or maybe you're just adding more people to your team, how can you, in the interview process, get an understanding that, hey, this, this is, is, hopefully this is the right match, this seems to be the right match? Sure, there's two specific things we do, even at the Mossman Group, when we, we build our team. Number one is applicable questions, qualifying questions, and then actual testing. Someone says, I'm great, everyone says, I'm great at Microsoft Office. Well, go test them, go <laughs> test them, see how they do, right? right? I'm great at calling. Do some role playing, hear them on the phone, how they do. So from that, that experience level, that ability level, you have to test that. And then from a personality level, there are, there are a variety of tools. There's Colby, there's DISC, there's uh, Myers-Briggs. We use a tool called the AVA so we can assess the personality and how our personalities on the team can best communicate with those personalities to move the team forward. Right, and I like how much detail you go into about the AVA uh, in your book because you know we use a, a similar system uh, at our office and you because know, some people come in and say well I'm motivated <laughs> right <laughs> I can get out and talk to people uh, and then you find out later that there's call reluctance there right absolutely and you can use those uh, types of testing to to get a better idea about that and they're remarkably on, on point aren't they Yes, the, the right assessments, and, and that's the key, they're not tests. You can't yeah. pass and fail a personality assessment. They're an assessment. And the right assessments should be quite accurate. In fact, we ask our candidates and our clients, their candidates, ask your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend if that is accurate. <laughs> and more times than not, the spouse, girlfriend will say, oh, that's you. <laughs> so. That's right. Yeah, and uh, we found that uh, they're just, they're so right on that, it, that it's almost uncanny how that short a period of time on a, with an online kind of question and answer thing that, that they can be that accurate, so. You know, it's truly, a, it, is, it is a science. Mm -hmm. and, and the tool we use has been around for over 50 years now. It's a scientific methodology. And any, any assessment is a scientific methodology. So where the, the taker may say, how can they know that in 20 minutes? There's a science behind it. Right. Now let's talk about some of the ways that you can benefit by having a team. One of the things that I see in our, our firm is that um, teams tend to have more accountability uh, processes in place where an independent broker may think, you know what, I, if this deal and this deal closes, I'm going to have a good year. And then sometimes they're not doing the daily activities that make them successful. So are, are, do you see that in teams? That do they tend to have more accountability processes? Yeah, no doubt the teams mm -hmm. that we studied, the teams we identified as dominant teams per se, mm -hmm. uh, they do have accountability infrastructure. They all are accountable to themselves. They have open communication. There's no guesswork of who's doing what during a week. I mean, they meet regularly. I know a lot of folks don't believe in meetings, but the dominant teams that we've studied tend to meet on a regular basis and hold each other accountable. Right, because they all have. Now, you've, it's like when you, uh, if you work out alone uh, or if you say you're meeting someone to work out, right? 
<laughs> You're more apt to be there. More apt to be there. More apt uh, to be there. My accountability coach on workouts were sitting right here watching our show live. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you worked out today. I did. Okay. I did. And uh, so, so let's talk about how to to set up a team and set up the accountability. Uh, one thing in your book, you you refer to a team operating agreement. Talk to us about that. Well, not for everyone. I understand that, but. If you can document the team vision, and I'm talking about the small team vision, what that might be, what the major goals are, and then dissect that and break that down to every individual's responsibility, not just the prospector and the servicer, but also the admin and the researcher, and maybe two or three guys, girls, and maybe just 20 folks. You know, teams be various sizes. So, but breaking that down to individual metrics, who's gonna make how many calls, how often, how much networking sessions, what type of servicing, what kind of marketing campaigns, and, and, and so many other metrics you can dissect in your team, but lay it out there in a foundation that it's a living, breathing document that you can look out every month, every quarter, and say, okay, where are we on our operating agreement? Right, and then you're getting a buy-in, right, from every member to say, hey, this is what I'm gonna do, and then they understand what, what, else, what everyone else is gonna be doing, right? Right, you have to clearly define the roles of everyone, everyone understand each other's roles, and be champions. And you know, we'll get into team leadership, I guess, a little later, but everyone can be a leader on the team. You know, yes, you, have, you probably have one or two main team leaders, but mm -hmm. if you're the leader of research, you're the leader of research, that's your role. If you're the leader of servicing accounts, that's your role as well. So that, that has to be clear and everyone has to understand we're all working together for the common good of the team. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so important because there's so many aspects of, of uh, running a commercial real estate brokerage practice. I like to tell agents when they're getting in the business that use an analogy of a franchise or a franchisee. Yeah, you're working at a company that's gonna have great tools and, and, and name and, and things to help you in training, but you're running the business, right? Right. You're running the business. It's your business. It's, yeah. it's at, and you have to run it like a business. And I know when we, that first book, Brokers Who Dominate, that was an acronym for these eight traits, one which was, was teams, mm -hmm. but the E was entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And the key is you have to understand this little team, it's your business. Right. All right, well, stay tuned. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about ways to handle the metrics uh, so, re, so the metrics become reality and your team is successful. So stay tuned. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. They were talking to Rod Santa Massimo. He's president and founder of the Massimo Group. He's also author of Teams Built to Dominate. It's a new book that's come out, and I really highly recommend it. Um, just finished uh, reading it, and uh, it's fantastic. And one of the things that you say in there, Rod, that I think is very key is to take your time going into a team, whether you're a new team member or an existing one, or creating a new one, you really wanna make sure you've got the right people and the, and the right setup, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, well, um, I, do, I do strongly believe to be as successful as you can be individually, you must have a team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know that. You need to take your time developing that team to get the right people. You know, going by your gut's great. There's only one element of many things you should be doing. You have to make sure you have the relationship with the folks and know them as best you can through qualification, interview questioning, getting the references, talking to them, watching, testing them from a, a, a ability standpoint, assessing them from a personality standpoint. But many of the teams that we talked about in the book, Michael, 
they knew each other for years mm -hmm. before they decided, you know what, maybe it's beneficial if we start working together. The, the, the trust factor was already there. Right. And I guess one of those things is you know, just the character, right, and the ethics of the person. If, they, if that doesn't match, then you could have an issue there, right? Absolutely. And, and that's where you have to sit down with that teammate and, and, and ask them, you know, what, what's your vision in five years, in 10 years, and make mm -hmm. sure it's consistent with yours. Mm -hmm. if, if they're not sure of that vision, they say, we'll see where this goes. I, I would tend to say, wait a minute, let's, let's make sure we have, let's, let's, let's not go into this just trying it. Let's not sure it's going to work. Let's set right. it up to work. Right. And you might have that uh, new rainmaker you think is a really great rainmaker, but um, they're a little more focused on themselves and, and the money they make than the client. And if you're a real client-focused person, uh, that might not be a good match. Right? Not a good match at all. Yeah. In fact, one of, one of the top um, uh, killers of productivity in teams is, an, is a personality just isn't a good fit. Yeah. Whether it be the rainmaker or an administrator, but you bring in a rainmaker, maybe you give them a, a more attractive fee arrangement, mm -hmm. and guess what? You've now created a legacy issue that will just permeate the team, will become a cancer, and you can't get rid of that yeah. until you cut the head off of the team, and then, then you've got a problem. Right. So. And another thing you want to know, right, is uh, work ethic, right? Because if, if you've got, a, say, a 50-50 team or whatever it is, you kind of want to know when somebody comes in if they share the same worth ethic. So if you're working seven to seven, which I tell my guys is just half a day, <laughs> Uh, and, and you got another team member who's you know, leaving at 3 every day and coming in at 10, uh, that could cause a problem, right? you got to know yourself first. You yeah. know, people say, hey, judge me on my results. They're playing golf, they're out fishing, they're, they're not coming in, whatever they're doing, and they occasionally get a, a listing or a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. I've got the results. That may not fit your team and your culture, where everyone else is really there, whatever hours your, your team may be there, and working together and building that culture. So I do believe work ethic and the teams we focused on in the book, all those teams, everyone says that people work hard. These teams really work they hard. They're they there early in the morning, late at night, weekends. I had some interviews in the book with some folks. I didn't mean to, but I'd be talking to them at five in the morning, and next thing you know, it'd be Sunday night, it'd be nine at night, and I'd be talking to somebody else because that was the time they were working. Right. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. These dominant teams, these people who do really well, they have very strong work ethics, and they have they calendar their prospecting. And you know, I like the way it's, uh, there's a lot to learn in here in this book about being a good salesperson and being successful. This that doesn't have to do with teams. Uh, so there's some great information. But back to teams. So let's talk about some of the personality traits. Okay. Tell us about that and, and how how to how to handle that. Well. We'll just focus on the tool that we use, the assessment we use, again, not a test. Uh, any, any assessment generally has, is two-dimensional, Colby, disc, you know, you have to fit a, a certain metric. And for this assessment, you look at four metrics, and those four metrics, one to nine, they must equal 20. They just have to equal 20. So from one to nine, low to high, assertiveness would be number one, looking at someone's assertiveness. Now, they could be goal-oriented, they uh, could be driven, now, assertiveness is not aggressiveness, right. understand that. Right. And so we don't necessarily want someone aggressive versus assertive. And then let's say you look at sociability, second mm -hmm. vector, sociability. Mm -hmm. are, are they more likely and more comfortable working by themselves or they want to be out there and, and, and more comfortable in that zone of naturally being social and, and personable? Uh, you have to understand that. Um, third vector we look at is calmness. Mm -hmm. So now it's, it's fair to say top producers, individuals, not very calm. Right. <laughs> they're right. not. They're, right. they're impatient. But right. that's what you want. That you right. want that. They're not very calm. Versus very patient. You know, can take the details, look at the whole picture, 
that, that's how fecal cells are. Now, last but not least is conformity, that mm -hmm. structure. Mm -hmm. So look at someone's structure. Are they independent, you know, long, big picture, free to act? Or are they more better in a corporate environment with policies and procedures and where they fit? And believe it or not, you know, that's why you need a team. Because you cannot be a high in each one of those vectors. You can't be, you can't be a 9999. First of all, it equals 36 and the rule <laughs> is 20. So that's how we look at things as far as teams and where people fit based on the roles they're, they're going to establish in the team. Yeah, I, I like this quote from uh, your book that I found. This one made me laugh. Um, they love to hunt and kill, but don't ask them to prepare the meal. <laughs> <laughs> don't right. ask them to prepare the meal. Right. That's, that's, that's a madman scenario right, <laughs> right. there, right? So, right. No. So if I'm assertive and I'm sociable and I'm, I'm more of a rainmaker, then I may want somebody on my team that has a little more calmness, right? And it has a little more conformity. Absolutely. You want more yeah. calmness, more structure, somebody to service that opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. And then what about, uh, talk to us about what some of the, the great teams are doing as far as handling, you know, the metrics, the daily activities that, that make us all successful. And then not only how, how they're having the team members agree to it, but then how do they check on it? How do they make sure it happens? Sure. Um, many of the teams we studied have CRM systems where they actually integrate their metrics within the systems. It's a shared, shared dashboard, so everyone sees what everyone's doing. That's one opportunity. Mm -hmm. Other teams are using applications, custom-made or off-the-shelf. Like in our, in our coaching clients, we have, we have an app, both on the phone and on the computer, where they can track team metrics on a weekly basis. I do believe in tracking weekly metrics. Daily metrics is a little micro at some point, but you have to track weekly metrics. Monthly metrics is really not the way to go. Um, they look at that as well. And then the communication they have, both inter-office and the formal meetings, where they're checking they're checking. One, one team is like that. They have a daily huddle. Every day at 8 o'clock, the team mm -hmm. huddles. Here's the goal of the day. See you, see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's their metrics. That's great. So you'll do the right things <laughs> you need to do every day and every week. And like we started out talking about, I think that's one of the, the greatest advantages to me of, of a team uh, is that accountability. Well, what about uh, goals? How do, you in, how do you inject goals into the whole team process? You know, you have to look at the team itself beyond the professional, you know, objectives and pursuits because there are individuals, there are people involved. So everyone has their own individual goals. Many of the teams that we wrote about, they actually, the leadership will actually make sure they're applying and inter integrating those personal goals to professional goals, just the way it has to be. But from a professional goal standpoint, the leader and the team, they work together and they establish what the key goals are for that team and they break it down to individual goals to get that team moving forward. Okay, and these are not just goals for uh, the week. Uh, these may be one, five, ten years out. Oh no, they're, they're five-year goals at the minimum, but they look at where we want to be. Where does the team want to be in five years, right? Where do you want to be in five years? Is that consistent with the team vision? And then break that down to three years and one year, and then quarterly goals, and then monthly goals. Yeah, and another thing that I noticed about your book is that all these teams are different in their own way. So there's no one way to do a team. We're going to talk about some of those various ways that you might want to set up your team. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about successful teens. My guest is Rod Santa Massimo. He's president and founder of the Massimo Group, and he also built this. Built he wrote this book. He didn't build this team. You have a great team, though. Uh, t- teams built to dominate. And Rod, there's all sorts of different sizes of teams and how teams are made up, and uh, from large to, to really small teams. Uh, tell us a, an example of, of some of the ways these are set up. Sure, and let's go back to the original definition, right? A small group of people coordinate and orchestrated on a, a specific goal or objective. So so a team is, I know CEOs may say, my, my, my corporation's a family. Right. <laughs> That's not really a team in, in our words. The team can be just starting out, just you and an assistant. For me, it was just me and my wife when I started out. That was my team. We were a team. So people are frightened by team. I don't want to build this big team, be, have a management headache. No, no. Team would just be you and one other individual that offsets your, uh, say, your challenges. I want to say your weaknesses, your challenges. Where you're challenged, they can offset that with their strengths. Um, and the team can go from there from two to three. The teams we talk about in the book, many teams were three or four a partner or a junior partner, a leader, and maybe an administrator, and then another producer, and someone fulfilling some business. Um, teams up to six, seven, eight. Now we go to the grander scale where there's a, a, a line of producers and support behind them and then research alike. The largest team we talk about in the book is a team of 20. And that team, if that word family, based on their culture, is accurate for a team that large, they, they are truly a family. Everything they do is integrated into their culture, what they do in the community, what they do by them, you know, with each other outside of work. So that team as much as 20 can be that size as well. You get beyond that, and that's an exception. Most teams, you're looking at eight to nine on the high end. Yeah. And let's talk about an example of a smaller team. So you mentioned you might be just a, a, a bro- an agent, or we like to call them all brokers in commercial real estate, right? It just sounds better. Right. Uh, so you might be a single broker, uh, and then you just hired an assistant that could be either virtual or part-time uh, or maybe full-time. And one of the things I think you, you bring out very well uh, to the people you're coaching in your, your book is that you've got to look at the value of your time, right? So if you're if you're looking to make 200 grand a, a year, uh, your hourly uh, your hourly wage and value is pretty high. Very high, very high. And so if you're doing that administrative work, that if you can do it faster, better, it won't make you wealthier. That's what comes into play. And so from a small team perspective, um, you mentioned the word virtual. The, the teams that are truly dominant teams don't necessarily have virtual teammates. They'll have someone physically with them, part-time or full-time, to move forward. So from from that standpoint, smaller teams, they looking at what their strengths are. I'll I'll look at one team, for example, I'll look in in Baltimore we talked about. The the gentleman's a true business developer, he is. But he understood that he was getting so much business, someone had to help service that business, and not only that, fortify the relationships, because his business is a true relationship business, what he does. So he found a very charismatic individual. He knew he liked, he trusted over the years, and together they built a a very nice uh, boutique specialty firm. Mm -hmm. But they had to have an administrator, because they were good at what they were good at, servicing a deal they they could not do. So they went out and found a very strong administrator to support them as well. 
like you said, uh, they they like the hunt and the kill, but don't ask them to prepare the meal. <laughs> they're not preparing any meals. No, so, they're not. So, so I guess another example of a small team could be a rainmaker, and then he has an assistant who is doing uh, business development, and maybe has one that's doing transaction management. And then as far as, and I think one of the questions that uh, listeners have, and I know my brokers have, is, well, how do you set up the compensation packages right. in these? So, And I know they're all different, right? But give us some examples of some that you've seen. Sure. And I'll, I'll speak about, because that's probably the one I hear why people don't do teams most. Well, I, I had an assistant. I had a partner. And, and they, they left me. They took all my clients. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a common reason people do not have teams. Mm -hmm. That means the team was not set up both compensation-wise and growth-wise correctly. Mm -hmm. Compensation should be a sharing situation. Not saying 50-50, not mm -hmm. saying a third, a third, a third, but every team member should somehow benefit from the production of the team because they have a role in that production. Mm -hmm. So what we found in the book is compensation came in many forms. Some teams just based on we're gonna, we're gonna create this split for all team members on January 1st. There's no discussion until next January 1st no matter what happens, who does what, this is the way it's going to be. And those, those splits were generally reflective of the responsibilities of the team in the beginning of the year. So certainly the admin had a smaller split than someone who found the business or somebody who fulfilled the business. Then you saw compensation based on community service. Mm -hmm. Some teams actually compensated their, their members if they went out and created goodwill within the community because that was, that was important to the leaders. And the more they did, the more bonus they achieved. Imagine that. Compensation based on networking, compensation based on education. If you went out and got a designation or enhanced your business knowledge, you got bonus as well. So many ways, Michael, and so many unique opportunities to compensate a team. Yeah, and I think that's important. So some of these, some of these team members have salaries only. Some of them have salary and commission. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to do it. Another big thing that you mentioned is culture. How important that is. We're going to talk about that when we get back. So stay tuned. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you in accounting, banking, or technology? Advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. We have Rod Santa Massimo with us, the Massimo Group, with us today in Studio One in Atlanta, and we're talking about teams built to dominate. It's a great book he, he wrote, and one of the things that um, you state very well in your book is the importance of culture in a team. Talk to us about that. Sure. You know, you understand culture is initially. Right, created by the team leader, right? The culture he wants to set within that team, and then it has to permeate and be accepted by other, every other team member. Different cultures, it, everyone's unique. You know, there, there's there are teams we research. What part, a essential part of their culture was their faith. They had, they had a specific faith which they all believed in, and it was it's part of their daily ritual. It's just what it was. Other cultures we talked about community. That was part of this. They wanted to really make sure they were entrenched in the community. Another one was fun, believe it or not. Their rule was leave all spouses at home, husbands or wives, it didn't matter, and we're just gonna go out and, and blow it out. And that was their, their, their weekly culture. That's what they did, and they went and had fun, they traveled together, but it was to build a camaraderie, to build the trust, 
to know they can do something stupid and, and be okay with that, right? right? So that trust. And as far as culture and trust, since we need trust, trust, many times the teams we studied, it was created before the team was created. Relationships like you talked about, they were long-term relationships and from that, people felt more comfortable and more at ease that this is the right decision for me personally for us going together and moving forward. And in some cases, it may be rushed where you have a need, you identify someone, you can't build trust yet, you, you just, it's impossible. But you take a leap of faith. So a, a team in our, in our book, uh, a gentleman had a significant book of business but he knew one and one could equal three if he went somewhere else with his other partner. And he did, and it, it actually equaled four. It was exponential, that growth. But it was a major leap of faith knowing that would happen. Right. So all part of culture on a team. Right. And trust is a, a big part of that, that culture. And I think, like you said before, that may be the reasons why some people don't start teams or get involved in teams because they're kind of untrusting. Uh, so you want to figure out some way to develop that trust and make sure you're getting in uh, to a team with the right right people, right? So what about an understanding of uh, if there is a breakup, one of your team members wins the lottery or right. decides to go, how about should you have an understanding of what happens with the database, existing business, clients, that sort of thing? Yes, the, 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 the dominant teams have a formalized uh, policy as far as exit strategies. And so there, there are those options for exit. There are all those options obviously for the team to buy back the ownership versus it being sold to anyone outside the team. That generally never happens. But if someone was to win the lottery, uh, there are rules and regulations of what they're allowed to take with them. If someone decides the team's not for me, there are certainly clearly defined processes because I understand if I leave, this may be the case. I just, I just started a new entity just uh, two months ago, uh, our Moscow University with a partner, and we both said, you know what, um, if, if we're going to exit, here's what happens. And yes, we had a lawyer right after the agreement, but that's part of being a team. Yeah, and it's an important part. So everyone knows everything, right? There's an understanding of what's going to happen in, in any situation. Uh, one of the things that we found is good to, to, for me to ask team members that are starting a team, all right, well, what happens if this, you know, your brother, uh, wants you to sell some land for them and you guys are really office brokers. I mean, you know, to just kind of go through different scenarios, right? So you know what's going to happen. Absolutely. The what if scenario absolutely is a way to go. So what are the five elements of a successful team? Well, we did find that five essential elements all work with one another. So number one was strong leadership. You had to have a strong leader. And that just, as we talked about, maybe not be the, the head of the team. He's the leader. Maybe someone leading in research or leading in servicing or leading in the client relationships. You need strong leaders. The leader's always going to take a risk. Let's face it. They're the one taking the risk. They're the one with the vision. You need that strong leader. And the leader's going to pick number two, the right people. I know Jim Collins, good to great, get the right people on the bus, mm -hmm. get them in the right seat. Well, make sure you get the right people on the bus, the right seat, assess them, qualify them, you know, give them, empower them to be the right people, but also make sure you get them in the right role. And that's what the real team is. Get them in the right role to be successful for the team. Uh, no doubt, culture, you talked about a little bit already. Culture is key, it permeates the team. Also, the, um, the communication is essential. Teams we researched and studied, Open communication, open floor plans, very little private offices in teams we studied. Mm -hmm. Those that were private offices, the doors were always open. They wanted to hear each other. They want to have regular meetings and make sure they have formal communication. The idea of, hey, we sit next to each other, we're good, doesn't work. Yeah. Formal communication. And last but not least, you talked about it, 
structure. How is the team structured? What's the org chart look like? What's the policies look like? And what are the regulations and guidelines that that team is known to follow? Structure is essential as well. So put those five together, you're a pretty dominant team. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about one of them uh, a little bit more. And you said the, the right people, which we've talked about today, but you also said the right role. And one of the things I noticed uh, with one of your teams was, or maybe more than one, was that they brought someone in, they knew there was a talented person, but they found out later maybe that was a better role for them. Yeah, um, and, and that happens. All teams go through this, right? It's growing pains. So you bring someone on, it didn't quite work out like you thought, because you're really, wow, I didn't really, maybe you didn't assess that person, both on their knowledge or their skills or their personality traits. And that was the case in a couple of those we, we talked about in the book. They said, I, I know that person, they do great work. I, I think they'd be great in commercial real estate. And guess what? They were not. And in fact, it infected the entire team. And once, once that person was, was asked to leave, the team went back to being more productive. Yeah, yeah, so you gotta watch that one bad egg, right? One bad egg. Right, and, in, and I liked in the, one of your teams that mentioned where they had someone that wasn't working well in a, in a role, switched into another role, and it was fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. Right. And okay. that was more of a, a business development or administrative role, and that's where that person was most comfortable and most talented. Right, yeah, that's uh, a lot of people that come to, to, to us and, and my firm and ask me about you know, a role and what they should do. And so, well, let's figure out what's right for you and then see if we have that as a match. If we don't, it's, it's not right for you, it's not right for us. All right, well, we're gonna talk about more on Teams. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us, we'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're in Studio One here with Rod Santa Massimo from the Massimo Group. He's also the author of Teams Built to Dominate. So Rod, if there's some listeners and viewers out there that they like the ideas of being on a team or starting a team, how should they get started? Well, if, if you're on your own or you need other folk, uh, folks on your team, the first thing I'd say is, what are you doing? Write down every day for one week, very simple exercise, what you do throughout the day. And just do it for a week. Do it on a yellow tablet, something next to your desk, whatever, have you journal things. Do it for one full week, but write down everything from the most significant, maybe making prospecting calls, business, business development, whatever your role may be, to the most mundane. Answering emails, answering the phone, checking the printer, whatever it might be, reloading paper. Write down everything you're doing. And then what I want you to do is I want you to look at that list and really ask yourself, why the heck am I doing this? <laughs> why the heck am I doing this? And if the answer is money, then you're making a huge mistake. Because there's no greater investment than investing in yourself and your team. And the ROI on adding a team member, you may find that you're looking at emails all day long. Someone else could do that for you. Yes, they can. I know most people think only I could do this. It's so, it's so incorrect. I started out that way. I thought only I could coach. And now I have 20 coaches and I don't coach at all. I run a consulting company and a coaching company. You have to see what you do. It's got to start with what you're mm -hmm. doing and identify things you need to stop doing. Okay, and then you're talking about evaluating yourself too. I guess you also gotta understand really what you're good at, right? Right. And yeah. what you don't like doing. Right, well, not only what you're good at, but what, yes, what you enjoy doing, yeah. but also from a team perspective, what's your best role in that team? Right. 
Right. Now, you may be really good. I thought I was a really good coach. And I think I'm a really good coach. I, I do. Yeah. But out of hundreds of clients, right now, I only coach one, mm -hmm. two maybe, because mm -hmm. that's not the best for my company. It's yeah. just it's not is. Right. So beyond what you, you may enjoy, which is very important, don't get me wrong, but what's the best role for you and for your company and for your team, excuse me, from a growth standpoint? Okay, so you've identified all the tasks, all the things that need to be done. Now you've looked at yourself to see what your personality trait is, what you should be doing and maybe what you shouldn't be doing. What's the next step? Go, go write the job description. That's okay. the big step, it really is. People say, go hire, no, don't go hire someone. Define, clarify, what's that role gonna be that's gonna help you propel your business forward? Go write a job description. You can go on the internet, there's, there's, there's Google's of them in the internet, right? Write a job description of what you need and then go find that person. Actually, it's actually easier today to find help than you ever thought possible. It just is. Yeah. And then I guess you, the next step would be, would it be to figure out how you're going to test them? Or if you're going to use the, what is it, AVA? Well, I, I, I highly recommend personality assessments. Yeah. And again, not tests, but assessments. Yeah. AVA, Colby, Briggs, whatever it might be. Um, just to make sure that you know how to best communicate with that person. It will share with you your personality versus their personality and how you work together, but also test their skills. Don't assume anything that someone says they're good at X, Y, Z. Test them from that perspective, yes. Okay, and should also, should you think about how you might set up the compensation? Absolutely, yeah. for some folks that's the scariest part, yeah. right? And so now I'm gonna have to look at a, taking some regular salary out or maybe some piece of my, my production. Well, if your production increases, one and one should equal three, that's not really an issue. Salary, this is what I think people have to realize about salary. Let's say you hire someone for, I'll throw out a number, $50,000, $30,000, whatever it might be. Say it's $52,000, make the math simple. You're not paying someone $52,000 up front. Right. Right? It's, it, it's, it's a payment plan. That's, you have a payment plan with a new employee. That's right. It's $1,000 a week. It's right. a beautiful thing. So <laughs> guess what? If they, if they fail, yeah. if you fail and bring that person across, the investment's actually pretty small, but the return on that investment will be significant when you think about compensation. Right. All right, what are some mistakes to avoid? What's the top mistake to avoid? We're at the end of this our time. Okay, assume, don't assume you have to do it yourself, number one. Don't assume I've got to do this myself. That's the first thing, because you won't, then you won't, you'll never build a team. If it didn't work, try again. You got burnt, go back at it, do it better. Clarify what you want to do. If you're on a team, don't assume you know them and you can communicate and, oh, we got it. Have those formal meetings. Communicate all the time. Keep it open. Rod, good information. Thanks for joining Michael, us. Michael, thank you. And thanks for joining us out there on the 47 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, and the show website. Be sure and join us next week. And uh, until you join us next week, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh and see the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.